Previously on Just Cow in the City. It's embarrassing to call a podcast Just Cow in the City and not leave the house. Say goodbye to Hoboken. A, a relationship with a bartender is a very sacred thing. It was Judge Jerry. Did you guys watch or what? But you have to be crazy to go to a comedy club when everyone's getting COVID. This close to meeting David Bowie. He was in my building where I live now. Ha-cha! Just got in the city. Everybody's here looking good and pretty. Been down, isn't it a pity? Trying to make things looking bright and chippy. All around people seem crazy. Walking around trying not to be lazy. But at night it's a different place. Making it work in your own space. Come on, come on and dance all night. I'm here each week, it'll be alright. Cause it's just out in the city. Cause it's just out in the city. Cause it's just out in the city. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Just Gal in the City, January 18, 2022 edition. Nice to see everybody this week. I hope everybody's having a lovely 2022 so far. It sure is a pleasurable time. Two years of absolute nonsense. Nobody's having a good time. I mean, I am, but, you know, there's an over, overhanging doom. But, uh, yes, COVID still rules, but Just Gal's still in the city for now. We'll see what happens and how things progress. Keep tabs on everything Just Gal. Hello, everybody, and welcome to... Today's program should be a good time taping, recording, not on Saturday today, but on Friday, because uh, tomorrow I'm going out, and uh, I'm going to Carmine's, if you all remember, the place where the Billy Joel incident happened at the phone booth, I'm going with my cousins again, and it should be fun. Uh, however, I can't deny I'm a little nervous about being in a huge, huge restaurant like that during a, a worldwide pandemic, but once you're out... I'm not afraid. It's just leaving the house and thinking about it that makes me nervous, as does when I know I'm going to drink. It's the same feeling you get once you're doing it and you're in it. Nobody cares. You know, you're not thinking about getting COVID unless you're crazy. And when I say crazy, I mean, you know, that kind of person, which I am until I see other people and I'm in it, then I don't think about it, which is the right thing to be until I get it. But uh, multiple stories about that today. Uh, I will also tell you that in a few hours, I will be attending Bob Saget's funeral, which is exciting and disturbing, obviously, at the same time. Very sad. This guy. So, yes, I, we didn't get to talk about Bob Saget. We, I recorded this on Saturday. On Sunday, obviously, we all found out. I couldn't believe it. I was watching the unbelievable Sunday night football game. I mean, the sick, ridiculous, awesome Sunday night football game. I'm pretty sure that's when it came out. Um, that last game of the season was not to be believed. Perfect way to end the season. Really exciting. You know, it got a lot of viewership. It was uh, really spectacular. You're in your something that never happened in the playoffs before. You're you in. You're in. You win. You're in. But if you tie, you're also in. So it was weird. Anyway, that going to said my friend Victoria texted me because she knows all the stuff before anyone else does, and she goes, "Bob Saget died." I said, "You're crazy." You have no idea what you're talking about. That doesn't make a lick of sense. So you don't know what you're talking about. So then I look online. There's nothing because for some reason she got the information first. And then, of course, it trickled out. And we found out that our friend Bob Saget died. Now, as you know, I was friendly with him. You know, we weren't close buddies, but we 
were close enough to hug outside the comedy cellar a month ago because we've had a lot of interactions with each other. Obviously, I was friendly with his daughters as well. So this is an absolute tragedy. However, when you are 65, it's not technically a tragedy. I mean, this this happens. It shouldn't happen for somebody with wealth and good health insurance at that age. But these, once you reach 50, it's all a crapshoot, especially for men. It's very rare for a woman to die, you know, early with no prior symptoms. But men, you know, it's just the way it works. Now, nobody, you know, they're doing a lot of uh, toxicology and all that kind of stuff. I, nobody suspects foul play, although they should because when you die in a hotel room in Orlando, there's usually questions, but I don't think there was any foul play. But he did have COVID. Uh, I know this because, uh, yeah, as you know, I'm uh, my, my best friends Dave Attell and Jeff Ross, and Jeff Ross is very close with Bob. And Jeff Ross is really handling all the funeral arrangements. So I spoke to him on Monday night, like at four in the morning, him and Dave, we did a three-way call at four in the morning talking about what's going on because you know we wanted some more information and jeff is fully involved with uh, the unfortunate passing of bob saget he's fully involved so him and john Mayer, for who knows what reason uh are fully involved and it was weird jeff was like you know he's, he's he's pretty distraught but he was still funny you know he's still making jokes because that's the way bob would have wanted it and Attell is brilliant all the time but you know, he was saying that he, you know, they were going to get the, John Mayer was providing like the plane to get the body because the daughters are kind of in shock and they live here on the East Coast. Some of them might have COVID, so it's difficult to travel. And the wife of, of three years is in complete shock. So Jeff's kind of taken over. He's doing the right thing. He's helping out. Said he was hanging out at Bob's house on Sunday and they're all, you know, it's him or Monday, him and the, and the cast of Full House. He's there with DJ and Stephanie and Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky, I mean, it's he's like it's 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 weird, you know. Like Jeff is used to hanging around celebrities, but he said this one is weird because it would be like when I was on Star Search many years ago with Ed McMahon. I got to speak to Martha Quinn. If you remember Martha Quinn, Martha Quinn was a VJ on MTV, a cute as a button VJ, one of the nicest people you could ever meet. And we got to talk, and I asked her, "What was it like?" Playing well, who she plays uh, girlfriend? I think it was I think it was Bobby Brady. And how did she get here? Uh, the new Brady wife, you know, from MTV, Martha Quinn. Here she is, the Brady. Where's your before picture? That's what I want to know, Martha. What did you look Where's like you? back then? Martha, Martha. why are you here? I don't understand. What are you doing? I'm an in-law now. I am a Brady. I am Tracy Brady. I am married to the youngest baby, not, not, Bobby no, no. Brady, who's not here. Watch, I'm surrogate right now. Well, he's the only one here, so he'll do. She'll, she's just going to take any one of us. We call them, we call them Brady mates. Brady, Brady mates. Oh, I see. Family. Well, you're 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 oddly part of two parts of Americana that people grew up to, Brady's and MTV. That's right, I am. And actually, as time gets on, it's getting a little more depressing when people say to me, "Martha, hi, boy, I grew up with you." <laughs> <laughs> she played Bobby Brady's girlfriend in the legendary Brady Bunch Christmas special, which was like a ratings extravaganza back in late late '89, maybe or something like that. You know. 20 years after the show had gone off the air, they made a Christmas special, and it was just kick-ass. Everybody was in. And 
I asked her, I said, what, you know, what was, what was it like, you know, being in that house and being, and she goes, it, it's, it's surreal. It's surreal to be part of this Brady family. And if you remember correctly, and I've told you this before, my friend Ken Ober, who's also dead, who died around 50 something uh, many years ago, greatest guy, greatest guy. He was the host of remote control on MTV and we were, you know, close. I loved him. He was a joy. It died really early. He used to do a radio show with Cindy Brady, with Susan Olson. And he went to Susan Olson's wedding, and he told me it was sick because he was sitting at the table with the Brady kids. He was sitting there with Bobby and, and Jan and Greg and Peter Martin. He was at that table. He couldn't believe it. So it's weird when one of those things happened when this like TV world that you know so well, but you were just watching TV and you weren't in show business at the time, becomes reality. There is nothing more fascinating than I'm like, wow, this is so weird. I can't picture myself in the 80s watching this TV that I was going to be with these people with unfortunate circumstances, of course. But, but uh, that's the good thing about Bob Saget, which everybody knew is that he was the greatest guy. And I've told you on this podcast before, this guy was terrific. I mean, I know everybody's saying he was great now that it's coming out that what a great guy he was and how special he was, and it, it's very clear. But, I mean, I remember when we went to dinner together, and I was there with uh, two out of his three daughters, and he was so nice to them, and he was waiting like, oh, I think the Olsen twins are going to come by. I mean, he was a dad to his fake family, and just as good a dad to his real family. Now, that's something you just don't hear very often, especially when you think of the Brady Bunch and what a dick Robert Reed was. Like, he was hard to work for, but he loved those kids. But apparently, Bob Saget was good all around. Now, the best part about Bob Saget is that he, you know, we were talking about this, about Betty White the other day and how she did all this stuff behind the scenes before being a philanthropist was, you know, a thing. I, I mean, everybody would do it, but, you know, before social media and Betty White was doing this about animals and pets way before anybody else was talking about it. And now it's coming out that Bob Saget, with no pomp and circumstance and no social media thing, you know, I mean, he did the best he could to put awareness to whatever the disease is called, it's very hard to pronounce, that his sister died of. He did all this wonderful stuff behind the scenes and now it's all coming out and that's the way it's supposed to be done if you really are the shit he wasn't trying to get accolades for it he was actually trying to help because i mean unfortunately his sister died of it so you know it maybe it becomes a little selfish in a way but it's not uh john ritter did the same thing i always wondered why he hosted that several palsy telethon every year it's because his brother had several palsy and is that selfish no it's cool and you're trying to do something to promote awareness and get the cure for it. And everybody has their thing they want to work on in life. And you just try not to look like a complete douchebag when you're doing it. And apparently Bob Saget was not that person. And it's terrific, all the the outpouring of affection that's coming out for this guy. Like, no bad words. Like, nobody has a bad word. Like, I almost want to come on and say, this guy was kind of a dick. <laughs> no. Nobody has a bad word about this guy. He really was terrific. Like I said... You know, we hung out multiple times. I saw him on Broadway. I think the show was called Hand to God. Atel and I went. We went backstage. Oh, I think that was the day I met Natalie Morales, the beautiful Natalie Morales from the Today Show. 
Oh, my goodness. We have pictures with me and Atel and his mother and Russ, Maneve, and uh, and Bob Saget all together on stage. So I saw him on Broadway when, you know, we hung out in Vegas. We went to dinner together. It's weird. You know, like, he, you know, we were just becoming closer as friends because now we had, you know, met a handful of times instead of just once. And that's why we hugged it out outside the comedy cellar. And uh, he really was a, a terrific guy. I, I'm not telling anything new. But when Jeff and Dave and I were talking, we were talking about some other stuff. He, Jeff told me, and I, I, there's no reason for it to be a secret at this point, he told me that I guess two months ago that Bob Saget finished writing Dirty Work 2. Breaking news. Dirty Work 2. And then he goes, God damn it, I can't believe Norm died. So that was the end of Dirty Work 2, and then Bob died. And the weird part is, is that Artie Lang still lives. Did you ever see that coming? The whole cast of Dirty Work is dead except for Artie Lang. That's why I'm telling you, Artie's going to live forever. It's not even fair that he should be the... If you were making a bet at a casino, the, the odds for Artie to be the first one to die from Dirty Work would be you'd have to put up you know, $10,000 to win $100. It's really odd and, and completely unfair. But yeah, he finished this script. He was really into doing, you know, he directed Dirty Work, the first one. I don't know whether he wrote it. I think he did. And he was into, like, let's let's do some more. He was just into having a good time and and being funny and and spending his very hard-earned money wisely, doing two shows at once in the 80s. You know, keeping it together and keeping a kind of a wholesome life. It's it, it's great, you know, when you hear stuff like that. And obviously, you know, I, I have a feeling it's why you don't hear a lot about the, the kids from Full House being, you know, weird. Although I think the middle one had a lot of some drug problems. But, you know, now she's okay because you also have a stable acting family as well, which has got to be a thing when you're a kid. You know, we heard about all these childhood stories. Meanwhile, Jeff... You know, is there with this Jody Sweet? You know, and he goes, "She's a very nice lady, very nice lady." I'm like, "What are you? What are you talking about?" Stephanie is a nice lady. I guess she's, I guess she's aged a little bit. <laughs> Who calls her a nice lady? Oh, this is a good kid, good kid. I don't know what that means. She must come off as um like a grandmother <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah. So Jeff and he told me on Monday, but it's already in the news now that Jeff and John Mayer. I can't believe they put it on Instagram. I I don't I don't know if I would have, but. They had to go, their job on Tuesday morning was to go to LAX and look for Bob Sackett's car that he parked before he took off to go to Orlando. Now, the news is in the sense that he did have COVID and maybe he didn't recover soon enough because we're looking for answers because nobody knows why somebody would just die. He wasn't, I mean, look, he's, he's not, you know, he wasn't in perfect shape nor am I, and who knows what his eating habits were. I'm sure they were better because, you know, it's easy. It's a lot easier to eat healthy when you have some money. That's why, you know, that's why people that don't have money eat fast food. It's cheap, it's quick, and it's delicious. But uh, he might, you know, he was pushing himself in the sense of just, he just liked working, and he was going to Orlando. He just done a gig. He drove two hours, went to another gig, drove two hours, you know, and then he was pushing himself. And uh, maybe... You know, taking some stuff to keep him up, like not not drugs, 
you know, over-the-counter stuff or some coffee, whatever, that might have pushed him a little too far after having COVID. And I guess the maybe what we can take for this, although nobody knows what's happening or how COVID works. Of course, you know, in the future, we'll find out how COVID affects you after you've had COVID. But is it possible to say that maybe a person at 65, if they get a bad bout of COVID, should not do anything for a month? Sure, they say 10 to 14 days, you know, rest it up. But perhaps if you're a little older, it's important to rest some more and be very careful. And the funny thing is I've always been that way when I, you know, my sick or my doctors tell me something, I always go extra. I'm like, nah, nah, let's, let's hold off for a little bit before we ease into stuff. And especially, I guess, the older you get, that's the more important it is. But who knows, you know, what, what causes something, like I said, after 50, especially if you're a dude, it's just, I mean, it's a crapshoot all the time, right? But still, it's unexpected. But certainly, I know a lot of fathers, of friends' fathers who died at 52, 53, and you're like, shocked? But it happens, unfortunately. It happens. You always hope you're, you know, your parent, well, not mine, but uh, <laughs> most people's parents are going to live until their 80s or 90s. These things, you know, it tells dad died very young, I think around, I think, I think it's 65. I think that's what's freaking him out a little bit. My dad died at around 72, which is a little bit more normal, I guess. Once you reach 70, you're not as shocked, but still in this day and age, it's still a little shocking. But anyway, his funeral is today as, as I'm taping, and um, I will be uh, involved, which I can't even believe, you know, which is like sad and unbelievable at the same time so i'll let you know how that is this very sad event and yet it should you know it's going to be also a little entertaining uh because this is uh it's funny you know i say to myself i wonder if people think they should be funny at my funeral i'm going to tell you right now don't be i want it to be a very sad and somber occasion i don't want any laughs so anybody who thinks oh joan rivers would have loved this I, well, she might have. I don't know. But I'm telling you right now, when I die, and it won't, be, you guys will all be gone. Obviously, God's keeping me alive till about 115, but with no money. That's the gag I get for doing something horrible in a past life. Don't, don't, I want everybody crying and devastated when I die. I don't want any hilarity. I don't want any comedy. I don't want anybody to think, oh, Jessica, I would have loved this. I would not have. All right? I'm telling you right now. But this should be good. I mean, Jesus Christ, the Roastmaster General is going to head up your your funeral. It's It's, it's got to be interesting at the very least. So when this comes out, this will already have happened, and I'll keep you apprised. And that's the other thing. Why doing it Friday? I'm going out on Saturday again. We call the podcast Goddamn Just Guy on the City. Why would I tape it the day before I do something out? Well, I thought about it, and I'm like, all right, so I, then I tape on Sunday, but come on, you guys know it's the goddamn NFL playoffs. I can absolutely tape it before they go off, but then I got to edit it. When I edit, I can't have the TV on because I can't be distracted. So, you know, once February passes, we can do it on Sundays again and we can do all these things. Obviously, I should have done the podcast after all these two things are happening, but there's plenty to discuss today. So I'm not worried for content. I will uh, open with, uh, well, several, right after I left you on Saturday, I did Marina's podcast, as I 
am apt to do on Saturdays at 3 p.m. on uh, Facebook Live or YouTube Live, whatever forum she's on. And uh, we were talking about Sidney Poitier. And I said, well, look, the guy overacted a lot, but everybody loved him. And boy, she cut me out of the podcast. She, I mean, as a joke. But you, you're not even, because he's black, you're not even allowed to question his acting ability. And that's all I was doing. I said I thought it, when I've seen his performances, they seem a little bit forced to me. But that, for some reason, comes off as racist. When I say I find Denzel Washington to be a very dull actor, that comes off as racist. Now, I've said that about Brad Pitt. I've said that about George Clooney. But for some reason, if I say it about a black actor who's heralded, people are in my face. I, I'm not, I, I couldn't care less whether they're black or not. I'm only stating what I think. And yet, of course, there are other actors. There are black actors that aren't very good actors that I'm completely overwhelmed. Now, Halle Berry's a horrible actress. Now, I don't think anybody disagrees with me on that, even though she won an Oscar, but, you know, everybody has one in them, I guess. And I've always said Christopher Reeve was an awful actor, but I loved him. Eddie Murphy is, I'll always think of him as a great actor. He just doesn't get the accolades because he's in comedies. But he's unbelievable. He's amazing in trading places. You're telling me that's not good acting? I'm just saying, I'm not using it as a black or white thing, but for Marina to get so angry because I said Sidney Poitier had a, a pension for overacting, that's not fair. Why can't I say what I'm saying? How is that a racist statement? This is the day and age we're living in. I mean, it was funny when she cut me off. <laughs> but I guarantee she doesn't even know anything about his acting. That's the worst part. The guy made three movies in the 1960s, and everybody's an expert on Sidney Poitier. You know what I'm saying? So the movie, the couple of scenes that I've seen, because I can't sit through an entire Sidney Poitier movie because they're a little dull for me. Uh, the scenes I've seen, I'm like, God, oh, the guy's really an over. He's really putting it on thick here, huh? <laughs> Which, of course, is hilarious to say. <laughs> but, you know, there's just not a lot to choose from. There hasn't been that many heralded black actors. You know who I thought was awesome? That fucking guy from Black Panther who died. Be Bo Boswick Chat. Oh, that guy from uh, that amazing actor from uh, uh, Get Out. I was like, this guy's unbelievable. And but but why am I choosing? I'm, I guess I'm looking for because now I have to I have to explain myself somehow. I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with Sidney Poitier being black. I'm like, ah, he's a horrible actor because he's black. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's funny though that people get so upset. You can't you can't say anything anymore. But we already know that. Oh, meanwhile, by the way, I wanted to tell you when you're um, joining Patreon, and thank you again for the Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much again, really. I don't know whether I could survive without you. Oh, I had out the tote bags. Now, I forgot they're all night flight tote bags. So now they're collector's items. I guess I got to make some Just Guy in the City ones. But, you know, I'm, I, for now, I'm still sending out night fly ones if you're on the uh, the Maggie level, the $10 Maggie level at the Patreon subscribers. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, now the night fly tote bags, collector's items. Those are going to go big on eBay. Big. So you're welcome. <laughs> and then people are like, why are you changing the name? That's why. So we can make some serious money on those tote bags, right? Just Gow in the City will return after these messages.
Hi, everybody. Just keeping you apprised on what's happening in the world of Dave Juskow. On Tuesday, we will have, of course, our Comedy Cellar Playoff Show on YouTube at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for only just one hour. But we would love to have you in the chat room. Boy, are we having a good time on that show. And on Billy Joel A to Z, well, the L's wrap up. Boy, we're not getting any songs. But no, on Thursday, this Thursday, get ready for Miami 2017. Finally, a song we can sink our teeth into on the Billy Joel A to Z podcast. That's all coming up, as is everything Just Cow. <laughs> And now back to the podcast. Well, I I, I got to tell you this though, and I'll just skip to um, Wednesday because I actually went out Wednesday, and I'll tell you what is happening in New York City, as this podcast is called Just Going City. So Monday, you know, I, I never got to go. Monday was the national championship, and I would have normally gone to that wing place, but I'm like, screw that. I couldn't go to Jackson Heights. I can't find another place to go. It's killing me. There was only two more weeks left where I needed a Monday place. So I couldn't think of anywhere to go. Plus, it's freezing and it's full of COVID. Now, Monday night, I'm going to go. Well, let me tell you what I did on Wednesday. So first of all, Wednesday, as I told you, I was up for this job that I thought for sure I was getting. Didn't get it. I waited Monday. I didn't hear from anybody. I didn't hear Tuesday. Wednesday, I called them. I'm like, maybe they're doing the old school. We're like, we'll wait for him to call us. Of course, I don't think that's the case, the way it works. But maybe it does. And they told me, yeah, you didn't, it didn't work out. I'm like, why not? I don't know. Maybe you asked for too much money. And I'm like, I didn't ask for anything. I just asked what you told me it was. I didn't give a shit. I'm not making any money. So making some money would be okay. I don't know what happened. Maybe they listened to the podcast. Who knows? <laughs> I don't think that's the case. But it would. I wish they had. I would give anything for to have not gotten a job. But Well, we heard your podcast. We heard you call the recruiter hot. And I'm like, oh, that would be a hilarious um you know, way to not get a job. And then what do you do, you know? Now, they said there's another job available, maybe, but the hours for are from 3 p.m. till midnight. I guess that's the second shift, what it is. And thus would end any kind of comedy career I would ever have. Now, I'm not doing any comedy right now. I'm just not, because everything's such a mess. And like I said, I can't find a good place I feel comfortable playing. Oh, look at me. You know, now, and that's when it's getting like sad, you know, like where I'm like, I don't, I don't mind getting a job, but I mean, it would be nice to get, I, I guess I just want a regular nine to five again, you know? I mean, that would be fine on the off chance that I, you know, have a gig on the occasion. But I guess at this point, I just need to get a job, I suppose. But you know, I'll find something. I really thought I was going to get it. It was actually making me happy and sad at the same time, as you know. But I was getting really into it. I was in a good mood in the sense of like getting my apartment together. I was like organizing stuff, you know. I don't know why. I'm like really into organization. I think because we sold my mother's house and we were going through all this stuff and then setting up her new place. I think that really got me into organizing my own stuff. So I cleaned out all these drawers that hadn't been cleaned in like 20 years. I didn't cleaned out or I had the cleaning lady clean out the uh, underneath the kitchen sink, which is hilarious. But I cleaned off this like table. I'm going to make some room in the closet. I'm like totally into like cleaning and throwing all this stuff out. I don't know why. I guess it's I don't I can't explain why I am feeling good about organizing. 
you know, because I'm still nervous that they're going to kick me out of this place, but I'm, I'm going to go for it as if I'm staying, <laughs> you know. And I was going to put the machine together. I told you my cleaning lady had COVID for the goddamn third time, and I was finally going to put that machine together, but then I knew she was coming Thursday, and I don't want to get – it takes me like a week to put together, so I don't want to have everything lying around when she's coming. And then, of course, I don't want to do it because the place is clean, so I have to wait like a week. Meanwhile, it's like a three-day weekend technically because I don't work anymore, so what's the difference? But this is when I would normally put a machine like that together. I'm talking about the OutRun machine out of my video machines that you see online every Tuesday. So on Wednesday, yeah, I found out about that. I was a little upset. But then, you're going to love this. Then I decided to go out, my friend Vincent and I, and this may be sad too, because we, when my friend Vincent and I, who's you know in his 70s, we go out, we always, you know, he always wants to meet at 5.30. You know, which is great. And I'm like, oh, I'll never be able to do that anymore if I have this job. But I mean, really? You know, are you kidding me? So anyway, we're going to go to that place, the West Bank Cafe. I think I even told you this. Maybe I did. No, maybe I didn't. So that was the plan. We we're going to go there. We're going to check on this guy, Steve Olson, who owns it. You know, I'm trying to play there. You know, I think I think I talked about this last week. And we're going to go Wednesday and check it out. And I'm like, well, are you going to call him and tell him we're coming? And he goes, no, no, I'm just going to stop in. I don't know what his adversity is to calling him and saying hello. They've been friends since since the 70s. So I take the uh, the motor scooter, which I haven't taken in a while. There were plenty available because it was freezing. And I've been expecting these new heated gloves that I finally purchased because they will help. My, my hands get to a level where I can't even click the brakes anymore they're so cold so i bought these very inexpensive heating gloves that just aren't coming until saturday i've needed them three times now and they still won't arrive or they're coming tomorrow and i took the motor scooter over and it's so funny i they have these parking spaces and the the restaurant is on 42nd and 9th so i'm basically parking in times square and i'm looking to park the revel scooter you know what? Now they have certain streets you're allowed to park, but in Times Square you're not allowed to park in Times Square. But they actually have parking lots where they have spaces to put the rubble, which are terrific. You know, maybe they got like ten spots for rubble scooters to put or pick up. And I go into this one place, and it says on the map it's on 44th. And I go into the place, and the guy's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I don't know." I because I've gone into parking garages before where you can actually, you know, put them instead of just leaving them between two parked cars. And the guy's like, no, no, you got to park it on 43rd. I'm like, I don't remember anything like that. So I'm looking for this parking garage, and I'm like, how can it be on 43rd? I know a lot of parking garages have entrances on both sides, but this one didn't. But it is through their parking garage, but it's in this it, – I couldn't even believe it. It was at this I, – I, I don't even know how I saw it. It's in this really small, narrow space where I saw the other bikes there. It's just a strange – place to put the bikes you could barely fit in between the other bikes this guy came in after me. he was carrying this huge bag he could barely get in but you can park there so it is convenient and inconvenient at the same time but at least it was right by the restaurant so it was so easy you know because when you got to look for parking you also have to make sure you're parking on the right side of the street because you're responsible for those mopeds for 24 hours and we have alternate side of the street parking here in New York City, which means that a street sweeper comes by four days a week. So you have to. So if I'm this was on a Wednesday, I have to make sure I don't park on the Thursday morning 
8 a.m. to 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. side because I'll still be responsible for the bike. I have to park on a Friday side, and it's confusing. So to park in a little parking lot area where that doesn't make a difference is really a good deal. So I did that, and I was right at the restaurant, and I was you know right, right on time at 5.30, and Vincent always gets there early, and he's waiting outside. I'm like, why isn't he inside? The place is closed. The place is closed. I'm like, the place is closed? The place is closed until January 26th. This guy's having such a hard time keeping this place open for the past two years. Remember, this was a staple in the theater district. People go before the theater. They come after the theater. It's been a staple for 30 years, maybe more. And now with, but it is connected, unfortunately, or fortunately to Broadway and everything's been shutting down on Broadway. So his restaurant suffers. And even after all these Broadway stars came out and gave him money during COVID, he still can't keep it together. He can't get a staff. He can't keep it together. He goes, you know what? Screw it. I'm closing until January 20th. This is ridiculous. He was only open Wednesdays through Saturdays at this point anyway because he couldn't keep it together. And, and from like 4 to midnight, which you can't make money at, and now it's even worse. And it felt awful. But it's so funny that Vincent, I wanted him to call and tell him we were coming, and he didn't. And then we were just stuck there. And he goes, listen, we're just, I'll take you to the sushi place down by my house. We'll take a cab. I'll pay for dinner. And I'm like, excellent. <laughs> but I'm doing him a huge favor anyway, Vincent, I'm talking about, because he has a script. And, you know, he's an old man. So he has one copy of a goddamn script he wrote, and he's been writing for years about a wrestling a wrestling movie, like real wrestling. Like he was really into wrestling when he was a kid, you know, like the, not the WWF stuff or E stuff. He has one copy, and it's full of, like, Post-it notes. And I'm like, well, I could scan it into the computer, but it's it's such a mess. But I told him I would do that for him. That's all another story. Anyway, here's the big news. And this, folks, is huge news. Now, this guy fits in. Now, I've talked about him multiple times in this podcast. I've had him on the podcast with the great acting teacher, Larry Moss. Not Larry Masso. It's Vincent Masso and Larry Moss. Anyway, as you know... <laughs> Every time I have dinner with Vincent, I get a new tidbit of information. We Three weeks ago, we had the tidbit where we found out he had breakfast with Charles Manson. And if that ain't a great story, then I don't know what is. You know, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, my God. This is a, what did he have? Scrambled eggs. Oh, my God. I mean, so even though I knew that story, there's always an extra tidbit. Like where Yul Brenner took him out for sushi in 1973. <laughs> when sushi wasn't even in this country. So, I mean, going out for sushi with the person that is credited with bringing sushi to America is another unbelievable tidbit of information, which he doesn't seem to get that we, you and I, in this podcast, love every minute of. He doesn't get it. So he always is a throwaway, and I'm like, no. And he won't come on the podcast and talk about it because he thinks it's boring, but he's an idiot. And it's pissing me off because wait till you hear this one, folks. Wait till you hear this new tidbit of information. I don't know why I'm not having dinner with this guy every... Well, I know. He's a fucking idiot. That's what... <laughs> so we go down to this sushi place on uh, 21st and 7th. It's pretty heralded as a good sushi place, like one of the best in town, even though eh, it wasn't that great. But it wasn't horrible. It was way overpriced. And I remember I got uh, shumai. 
which I always like to say is George Takai, Shumai, Shumai, which is a um, Japanese little shrimp dumpling. And I got that, and they weren't very good. They're big, which was nice, and it was kind of great looking. It comes out good, but it wasn't that good. Like, it just wasn't as delicious for the price that you were paying. And the sushi was okay, but it wasn't anything phenomenal that I was expecting that he told me it was because I've definitely tasted a difference in certain sushis. Like, even if you go to a strip mall in L.A., sushi's better. But it wasn't bad, and it wasn't a bad time. What was a bad time, now, we were there, obviously, very early before 6 o'clock, so nobody was there, so it was great. But this is a sushi. Remember what I told you about what I love about COVID is that especially at sushi places, sushi places, they can't. They got to get their... They got to get their money. They're very greedy. They keep all these tables very tight together. And I've always hated eating sushi out because of that reason. You are sitting right next to a couple who's listening to your conversation. And remember, they can also sit a one person there. That always happens to me when I'm on a date. We've talked about this just before the new year. So again, these tables are very close, but nobody's there. So it doesn't matter. But by the time we left, somebody came in and sat down. Now at these Because of COVID, most of these sushi places have a partition in between, which I love because that makes all the difference in the world. But this place is so popular on 21st and 7th Avenue that it just doesn't. And they just try and fill as many people in there as possible. By the time we left, there were people. But here's the thing I, I didn't tell you. You know, I hadn't left the house in like a week. So I don't know what's going on. I know everybody has COVID. And I know things are bleak. So I went out for the first time and I was driving around and it was about five o'clock, right? So that's rush hour. But there was, I was noticing, you know, I'm on Lexington Avenue. I'm on Second Avenue. Normally that place is just jam-packed with cars, whether they're wherever they're going, heading the tunnels or whatever. And there was really nothing going on. I was zipping by. And then where we were on 9th Avenue and 42nd, that 9th Avenue and 42nd, in the old days, is a disaster of traffic because that is the entrance to the Lincoln Tunnel, which takes you to Jersey. And there is usually a 45-minute backup on 9th Avenue. And there wasn't one goddamn car going. I mean, there wasn't any traffic. This was 530, 5.30 at night on a Wednesday, and you could have zipped to the Lincoln Tunnel. I haven't seen anything like that, which means clearly... No one's coming back to work. Nothing's going on here, and everything is just dead. I just didn't recognize it. Because, I mean, after New Year's, that sometimes happens, but this is insane. It's already the, the 18th, you know, the 15th, whatever it is. So there's definitely an issue. But again, I, I was like, well, this is just a traffic issue. We go to the Japanese place. It's empty, but it's early. We forget it's early because it's dark outside. So I'm not thinking. But then... We go to this bar that I'm going to go to on Monday for, for wing, they, you know, whatever they have wings. I just know I got a friend named Jordan. She's cute as a button. One of those girls, one of those friends with those girls that came over my apartment that day who were playing video games. And she's from Arizona. So I said, you know what? Why don't we go to that Jake's saloon on Monday and we'll watch the game there so I can finally have the last Monday night watch this brand new new playoff game they're doing with the NFL and watch the Cardinals. I figured she's up for that. She's like totally in. I'm like, great, we'll go there. So since Vincent and I were around there, I'm like, why don't we go there? Because we know the owner for years. 
That's why I like it there. That's why I can't believe this girl goes there and she knows everybody because I'm like, well, I actually know the owner, Jimmy, for, for years. So Vincent and I go in, but he's not there. But the bartender who is there was great and he was awesome. And he knew how to make a black and tan properly. So I'm very excited that I can have the proper black and tan in there. What was he using? He told me what it was. It was great. It was called like a, a tricky ale or something. It was exactly perfect. It's what a black and tan should be. He didn't give me any issue. You're like, how dare you offer? You asked for a black and tan in this neighborhood with the excommunication of the Catholic Church. And then we're just sitting there. And there's, there's, now it's 7. I know it's 7. It's 7.15 because we're watching Jeopardy because that trans woman is winning Jeopardy and is on for like 30 days in a row. So Vincent's obsessed, and you know, everybody. I love watching Jeopardy when there's a, a champion that's going to go for it all, break all these records. It's exciting. So I know it was seven fifteen. With the there's six people in there, me and Vincent, two other guys, and two people at the end of the bar, and that's it. Six people. Wednesday, seven fifteen. All right, we stay for an hour, and when we left, there was only two people at the end of the bar. We left. There were two people left in that bar. That's at 8.30 on a Wednesday on 23rd and 7th. That's not a good sign. This bar bar is usually not jam-packed on a weeknight, but at least packed with people eating in the booths or at the bar. And there was nothing going on. This was at 8.30 on a Wednesday night in New York City. Let alone we caught a cab. At 5.30 in the afternoon on 42nd and 9th. That's unheard of. So you know something is wrong. Real wrong. Nobody's going out. So now I don't have to feel that bad that I haven't gone out. I haven't gone out because I keep thinking nobody's going out. Attell called me on Monday before we talked to Jeff. Said there were 20 people at the Comedy Cellar. Things are real bleak right now. Let alone the cold weather isn't helping. It's bad. Because everybody's got it. Everybody's catching it. Everybody realizes they're catching it. It's pretty bad, especially in New York City. But, you know, for me, I loved it. I couldn't have been more thrilled that nobody's out. I mean, it's a dream come true. Now, Saturday, as you know, I'm going to Carmine. That's a huge place. I wonder what the story will be like there. It's all tourists. But then you have to, which which my cousins are at this point. They're all coming from California, just one from Jersey. Then you have to ask yourself, well, who the hell's coming to New York City during a pandemic? Although... If you're feeling up to it, this is the best time to come because you can do everything. <laughs> you know, you can probably get a, a table at your favorite restaurant. Actually, we're going to talk about that at 11 Madison in a couple minutes. But I guess good time. Anyway, I'm I'm burying the lead again, as I did last week. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe I almost forgot to tell you this. The reason we were talking about this goddamn story. So Vincent and we're sitting there and I tell him about my Broadway musical, the Warriors. And he says, oh, I auditioned for that. It, it came down to me and another guy. And I'm like, what? Whoa, 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 what? He goes, you're talking about the 1979 movie, right? I'm like, yes. He goes, yeah, I auditioned for this guy. He told me the uh, the the casting agent. He said they loved you. I, but he doesn't remember the part. It's driving me insane. It was not uh, Michael Beck. That, that's the guy, right? Uh, it was not Swan. It was not the lead guy. It was one of the other words. It wasn't another gang. It was one of the words. I can't. I'm thinking it might have been James Remar because that's the only one I could see Vincent playing. I mean, he was 
he he was pretty at this point, you know, like real pretty. This guy Vincent. I mean, he was. I mean, I've seen pictures of him young. I mean, he was gorgeous. That's why he has all these experiences, you know. So he auditioned for the goddamn Warriors, and 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 he told me all this stuff. My mind was so blown, I couldn't remember the goddamn details. I should have just been writing them down. It was driving me insane. I couldn't believe you can't remember. And you and you did the dialogue and everything, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And they they told me, and and they told me I got it. They told me I got it. My agent said, hey, hey, nothing signed. You don't have a contract yet. Just you know, relax. He goes, when, when they sign it, we'll celebrate. They told him he got it, and then Walter Hill somehow got involved and said, nah, I, I'm I'm not going to use him, I, and I don't know why. I need to press him for more information. I still can't believe it, but there's more. For some reason, the, the, the casting agent or agent or somebody liked him so much. I don't know who, but like I said, he was gorgeous. He was a gorgeous boy. They said, oh, hey, come to the set. I want everybody to meet you. Come to the set. So he came to Central Park the night they were filming the Baseball Furies fight scene. He came and he goes, this is the guy you should have hired. This is the guy you should have hired. He's walking around. He was there when they were filming the iconic Baseball Furies Central Park scene in the Warriors. God damn. I still can't believe it. I still cannot believe it. I cannot handle it. Then he told me this unbelievable story about Nick Nolte, and that's even more impressive. Well, it's not, no, it's not, no, this is more impressive. But that's a way out there story, and I'm not allowed, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell it now. None of this matters at this point, but I know it involves a, a, a Nick Nolte's assistant, and he's like, yeah, she kept calling me, and I was like, why'd she call you? And whatever, he's like, ah, you know, she was really a girl or whatever. I'm like, well, what'd she look like? Uh, I, well, I know she likes me. She kept asking me out. I'm like, well, what'd she look like? Uh, you know, Cheryl Ladd. And I'm like, what? Oh, come on, man. You're killing me. <laughs> oh, Cheryl Ladd has always been, oh, she's the one. I have always, I still find her attractive. She's still gorgeous. I just, I, I just can't believe it. I, this Warriors thing. I got to get more information. I mean, why? This is the guy that replaced John Travolta. It's like he's had all these things where people keep getting jealous of him. When he takes it, they take it back. It's like whoever didn't want to do the role in the Warriors when they found out Vincent was cast. Like, oh wait, wait, I'll do it. And remember, that's what happened when he took over John Travolta's part and welcome back Cotter as Bobby Barbarino. John Travolta's like, oh wait, wait, I'll, I'll, I'll come back. Oh, if only. He he said there are pictures of him as Bobby Barbarino. I uh, I hate that he doesn't see how important this is to us, to us, the Just Guy in the City listeners. My God, how does he not get this? And he won't come on the podcast. And quite frankly, even if he does, it, it'll be boring, and he won't make it. And he'll just just be like, "What? Nobody cares about this." I'm like, "Come on! How many times I got to tell you we do? We like these stories." Oh my God. I'm so angry at him sometimes. But, you know, he's my favorite bartender. <laughs> As we were talking about last week. Oh. Apparently, the only performance that will satisfy you is when I play dead. In your very next role. You'll be quite convincing, I assure you. How excited was I to find out um, our new listener, uh, Catalina from uh, Chile, if I know how to pronounce it, probably loves her favorite movies, North by Northwest, or that's one of her favorites. That made me so happy. She finally, and I'm saying hello to you, 
today. She finally watched Clueless. She's never seen it. And she said she loved it. Thank God. I tell you, I was nervous. I was nervous. This, you know, woman's not going to like my favorite movie. We're going to have we're going to have an issue. We're going to have an issue. But she does thank God. So I come home Wednesday night and I walk home. I'm like, I got to walk. He's like, how are you getting home? I'm like, I'm walking. Because I totally could have taken the motor scooter or taken the bike, even though it was free. I'm like, I got to walk. I have to walk. I'll die if I don't walk home tonight. Because remember, I haven't been walking. I haven't been leaving the house. And that's the only thing that probably keeps me from dying, considering my diet. So I walked home, and it was a lovely walk. And I, I get home. You know, I had some sake so I, I was, and a beer. So I, once I have any kind of alcohol, I just get a headache. So I can't be productive. I wanted to do some stuff at the computer. I'm like, oh, who am I kidding? So I just do my regular ritual. I uh, turn on Hogan's Heroes. I'm playing the game on my phone. And I get a knock at the door. And it's that crazy lady who's always asking for wine. Bonnie. <laughs> you might remember that story from about, uh, I guess, a year ago. And there she is. You know, I know it's her. She knocks on the door. I'm like, I'll be right there. No, nobody ever knocks on the door. And she's like, I'm locked out of my apartment. I left my cell phone there. I don't have any money. And I said, what do you want me to do? Now, Norm, Now, this woman, as I've told you before, is gorgeous. I mean, stunning. She's over 60. She's gorgeous. But unfortunately, truly, batshit crazy. And I've been told by multiple people who live in the building, let alone the super the guys that work downstairs, we're friendly. Sometimes she texts. I talk to her on the street. But I've been told never to let her in the apartment. Because if you remember the last time, and I think I told you when she locked herself out last time, I let her in, and she was staying here, and I'm like, uh, you got to leave. Because I, I can't, she's that crazy, I can't let her sleep here or anything. You know, I don't, I don't mind helping her, and I want to help her. But she's so suspicious of everybody and so uh, in conspiracy theories it's too risky to have her here because she could make something up about me that I tried to abuse her or rape her. I really, you don't know. And I'll tell you more in a second, but this is the problem with her. So I feel horrible. I'm like, well, you got to leave a key downstairs. I told you, you got to trust these guys. Eventually she goes, I did leave a key. And then I took it last week because I lost my key. And I'm like, well, then you got to give me a key. She goes, well, that doesn't help me now. And she's like, I should leave you a key, but that doesn't help me now. I'm like, I know, but I don't know what you want me to tell you. She goes, and I can't call a locksmith because I don't have any money. And I'm not in a position to lend her any money for a locksmith. If she was a normal person like me in this, in this sense, in this building, and took care of the people in the building during Christmas and was a little bit more polite, they would help her get in. But nobody wants to help her because they're afraid it'll come back somehow to be a bad thing. So the super ain't going to help her. He's just going to say, you got to call a locksmith. But the super would help me. He would get me in my apartment. I also told her the best thing to do is to do what I do, where it never locks. I have it so when that door shuts, it does not lock. That is the best thing I could do. Who cares? I don't want it to lock automatically. I'll lock it when I leave. If it locks automatically, I know I'm going to get locked out eventually. So I've never been locked out because it doesn't close. Smartest thing I've ever done making sure I broke that thing so it doesn't lock automatically. Fucking brilliant. Meanwhile, she's telling me that this is all due, and I think I told you this, because Mike Bloomberg is stalking her. 
Now, we did find out, and I told you on this podcast, that we think she used to date Mike Bloomberg. It does make sense. She was in the news and all that kind of stuff. And it's possible he pays for her apartment. Now, this is all possible. Uh, Mike Bloomberg, if you don't know, used to be the mayor of New York City and is very, very wealthy. So we don't know. But this time she's saying, this is all Mike's fault. You know, he's doing this to me. I'm like, how does Mike Bloomberg take away your key? It's like, oh, he doesn't. But, you know, so I'm thinking, I'm like, maybe I should let her in. Maybe I should let her in. And then she says, well, you know, Mike Bloomberg's been on the floor with a gun before. And I'm like, all right, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about, but now I'm not letting her in. Now there's no way. And I just have to stare at her. And we just stared at each other for a while. I'm like, what do you want me? What can I do? And she, we're just staring at each other. It's almost sexy. <laughs> but she knows I'm not going to let her in at this point. And I say, here's what I think you should do. It's almost 11 o'clock. I would go downstairs before the handymen leave and beg them to let you in. Because I didn't say I wasn't going to let her in, but I was just standing at the door, not making any movements to allow her to come in. I couldn't even let her use my... I, I might have let her use my cell phone, but I don't know who she was going to call. And I don't want to sit there looking for locksmiths for her because she doesn't have the money. And then I'd have to pay it. And again, if this was anyone else in the building... I would obviously help, but I've been told by multiple tenants and the people that work in the building not to help her because it will come back at you in spades where it'll all be a bad thing. It'll turn into a bad thing, which is a shame. Yes, she's she's troubled, but she's not a horrible person. And I said, you know, we're friendly. And uh, when I see her out, we talk for a while, but she she talks crazy. This is the one I told you the day before the uh, Donald Trump election with Hillary Clinton. What was that 2016? She told me she was supposed to be Hillary's running mate. She looked me right in the eye. We were at a Starbucks together. I bought her a cup of coffee. This is before I knew I shouldn't get involved. She goes, I'm supposed to be Hillary's running mate. I'll find out tomorrow. And I'm like, well, the election's tomorrow. Yeah. Well, everybody's keeping it a secret, you know, and, and it's all Mike Bloomberg's fault. Now, how can I have somebody like that in my apartment, no matter how hot they are? And I love the crazies. You know that. But that's insane. It's also hilarious. <laughs> because it's just so funny that this beautiful girl comes to your apartment and you can't do anything. And you know I like to help people in the building, especially a damsel in distress. But she's that crazy where I have to put a stop to it. It was very difficult. I feel horrible. I couldn't even offer her any wine because <laughs> I could have at least done that. Well, that's all she needs to be drunk and going around. I need to let her in the building. Do you know how many people I've tried to get in their building? I've broken into their houses, but with her, I can't take the chance. I mean, in the sense of helping them get in their places. You know, I try and help everybody in my building whenever I can. But this, I could not do it. And now I said, now I, I closed the door. I said, now I got to turn my back on you. Now I got to turn my back on you. Just in, uh, just like in Goodfellas. Now I got to turn my back on you. Yesterday, on Thursday, I finally went to see my mother. I finally got out of the house. I got the car. I did all the stuff I had to do. I had to return these cable boxes. I had to go to Jersey. I saw my address. I went to my mother's right, and she's uh, she's got all these boxes in there. So I went through them all, and she's got. I took stuff out of her car, and she had one of those ratty toilet seats that. You know, older people use to sit higher up 
so they can get up easier. And she had it in the trunk of her car. I said, I told you not to take that goddamn seat. We'll get you another one. It's disgusting in there. And I tried to pick it up, and I'm like, this is so gross. I'm leaving it in the trunk. I don't know what to do with it. If there's a dumpster somewhere, we'll throw it out in there. It's so gross. And so then I'm helping her unpack all this stuff. I'm going through all the boxes. I go through like two. There's like nine boxes. I go through two, and then I want to leave. I want to get home. I just want to get home before the traffic starts, if there is any. I'm just getting nervous. I hate to leave when it gets dark. Then I'm like, yeah, you know what? Let me just open all these other boxes. Maybe she'll she'll want me to do that. So I stayed and I opened all the boxes. And then I have to go to the trash. To, for my mother in her new place to throw out the trash, it takes about 20 minutes to walk to the trash receptacle. But then you, you know, but everybody loves doing it. There's a migration of people carrying tiny trash bags to the thing. They love it because they get out to walk. We met our new friend, June. And, then, and, we, and we all walked down to the trash receptacle together. Oh, it was very exciting. That's, that's part of their day, the excitement of bringing the trash to the thing. This is the way it works. And I wish I could say, aha, that's hilarious, old people, but I think I have the same problem, so I, I don't want to make fun of it. Meanwhile, I take all these bags that I put. I, I made three other big bags of garbage that I was bringing to the trash receptacle. Now, this trash receptacle sucks. There's like a, a, a recycling bin thing. And if you're an old person, it, it, it was hard to pull out the thing to put the trash in. You know, it's like a chute, like in my building, because everything's like stuck there. They put all these boxes up in front of it. I don't know how the old people are getting through. But I get there around 4 o'clock, and there's two of those toilet seats that somebody has thrown out. Two used, disgusting, huge toilet seats blocking the trash chute. And I'm trying to put them out of the way, and they keep falling on me. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so disgusting. I'm like, we don't even know who used it. At least if it was my mother's. I'm like, is that even better? But these two, these huge toilet raised seats, they're, they're old and used. It was disgusting. I'm like, who the fuck is throwing this shit in here? Literally. Ew. And they kept falling on me. I couldn't keep them upright. And I was so grossed out. I left the media. I'm like, I have to leave. It's like, what's the wrong? I'm like, I can't even talk about it. It's so disgusting. It's so disgusting. And when I went home, I got home finally. My God, I had to drive because I, I went to the storage. I picked up a thing. So I had to stop at my house first, then drive the car back, then walk back to my house. When I finally got home. I took a shower. I never shower later. I usually, you know, you shower in the morning, you shower before I go out. I had to shower. It was that disgusting. Ew. Ugh. Oh, my God. That was so repulsive. I can't get it out of my mind. It's driving me crazy. And now you're not going to be able to get it out of your mind. But you didn't see it. So, oh, my God. I almost want to complain that place. I'm like, what the fuck was that all about? Get that shit literally and figuratively out of that stupid trash chute. No one should have to go on with that. Oh, have you heard any good news? Today, today, I want to hear what you have to say. Now I want to tell you about food products. <laughs> What's in the news today? Today, I was just reading. You know, I think about this all the time. It's the weirdest thing. Apparently, for the past 24 years, there's been some sort of, get ready for this. There's been some sort of blacklisting of French dressing. I know. For some reason, 
there, there's a company. You, you ready for this? I, I should get a job with them. The so they call it's the uh, what is it? The ADS. You know what that is? Well, it's the Association of Dressings and Sauces. Everybody knows them. Uh, I, I work for the Association of Dressings and Sauces for uh, 25 years, and uh, now whoever came up with that, see, that's where you should really just come up with your own organization. Because whoever invented the Association of Dressings and Sauces is a fucking idiot. I don't understand it, but apparently, for some reason, the Association of Dressings and Sauces has decided that French dressing had to be regulated with certain requirements. None, no other dressings had to, but it was like required to, to contain vinegar or lemon or lime juice and other ingredients like salt and tomato paste and spices were not permitted by the Association of Dressings and Sauces. And finally, today, in 2022, because, because apparently nothing else is going on in the world, the FDA decided they would lift those regulations, and they said that, that, that Kraft and all these stupid places that make French dressing, which nobody likes anyway, can you know, change their restrictions and make it taste the way they want it to taste, you know, as long as it's FDA-approved. That was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And it was funny because I was just getting back into French dressing. I hadn't thought about it in years. I remember it as a kid. Then I remember not seeing it very much anywhere. I'm like, you know what would be interesting on a salad? French dressing. I was rediscovering French dressing, but it, it was actually hard to find. Well, now we know why. And I wonder if any of you out there in Just Care with the City Land ever use French dressing. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say we've all tried French dressing as a kid. They definitely don't serve it at restaurants. I don't even, I know they have it in supermarkets. And I guess, you know, in New York City, they're very limited. So maybe out in Jersey or, you know, Ohio, they, you know, it's easy to get French dressing. But I don't think anybody buys it. But now I want it. Now it's making my mouth water thinking of French dressing. I'm looking at this little label. It says creamy French dressing. That sounds delicious. But I only remember French dressing as a kid. I didn't even know there were other dressings. Everybody knows blue cheese or, or ranch and, and Italian are the big ones. Those weren't regulated at all. And what they don't say is why. The, this is what they say, the, 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 the group that was trying to fight it. The Association of Dressings and Sauces was furious with French dressing. It's very confusing. Uh, but it did institute 72 years ago. Oh, I'm sorry, 72 years ago that in order to be called French dressing, the product had to contain 39% vegetable oil. That was decided 72 years ago. Now, who the hell decided that? Somebody was getting some sort of kickback or something. The Association of Dressings and Sausages, sausages, I want to say sausages, has, has been uh, since uh, 1950, they've been uh, putting this together. I, I thought that was... Uh, Pretty much the stupidest story I've ever heard in my life. Oh, and I forgot to tell you that the Revel scooters that I use, the, the mopeds in the city, which I love, uh, they're now taking them out of the Bronx because everybody's been stealing the batteries. Yeah, well, I could have told you that. Yeah, and that doesn't affect me in the least. I will never drive a scooter into the Bronx anyway. The Bronx is terrifying and gross. I've been in every other borough. Every time I'm in the Bronx, I'm terrified. So good riddance, I say, to the Revel Scooters in the Bronx. I couldn't care less that Bronx residents uh, can't use the Revel Scooters 
And that just makes all the sense in the world because every time I've been to the Bronx, I've got my battery stolen. So, and what I was going to tell you about these, the restaurants, there's a restaurant called 11 Madison and it's one of those hoity-toity ones, you know, the, uh, the, the crummy snobatoriums we always talk about where it costs $335 per person, a lavish meal at 11 Madison Park, you know, it's like a tasting menu and it has to be paid in advance when you make the reservation. And during COVID, they're not giving your money back. And they're saying no re- no refunds. They say diners stuck with pricey prepaid seats and Omicron surge. Well, so? How's that? Again, you're asking for your money back when you made a reservation at this place. You know what they're like. Does that kind of serve you right? If you have money to afford a dinner like that, for two people, it would be seven twenty-five, right, or something like that. Then, yeah, well, you take the risk that you're not going to get your money back from a hoity-toity place like that. F- fuck COVID. You could get sick with anything else, and you're not going to get your money back because that's how heralded these seats are. They make you pay in advance. If you're willing to take that chance, then you're taking the chance. It might not work out if something tragic happens, if somebody in your family dies, or you get sick. I mean, especially if it says we don't offer refunds and you take the chance. Like, no, but we didn't know about COVID. Well, you don't know if you're going to catch the flu. So I can't believe this is even an issue. If you're paying that much money to have a couple of samples of food, you're an idiot anyway. Do you know how much McDonald's I could buy with $725? I could feed an entire state or at least a city, a small city in Ohio. I don't know why I keep using Ohio as an example. Isn't that the risk you take, especially if it says no refunds on the site. Hey, you get sick, that's your problem. You take the risk. I don't know, you know, now that's something I would like to see. Because wouldn't it be great if I did it, and certainly I get to do these kind of things sometimes with friends, and then I came back and I would say, I got to tell you, that was the best meal I ever had. But that's never going to happen because everything's going to be, like, you know nothing's going to be filling. They're going to drape, like, you know, three pieces of tuna, and put some sauce around it, and that's going to be it. Screw that. You get a steak. You get a meal. I was watching Pulp Fiction last night. When John Travolta and Uma Thurman go into that 50s restaurant, he orders a steak. They don't show it, which pisses me off, but it looks delicious when he's eating it. And when she comes back, she always says, oh, don't you love when you come back from the bathroom and your food is there? That hamburger looks delicious. That platter looks delicious. She's so happy to see it. After doing Coke, He's on heroin, she's on coke, and they're both excited to see their food. That's what I like. I like looking at food on, uh, you know, on TV, on the movies. That's why I like Goodfellas so much. Oh, you got to have the pork. Oh, you got to have the pork. <laughs> I say that to myself when I walk in the door sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what the matter with me is. I got a problem. I got a problem. What do you want me to tell you? Well, I guess that's our show for today. I hope everybody had a, a thrilling time listening to the podcast and... We'll, of course, be with you next week, as usual, with lots of stuff to tell you about. I'll be going out and then staying in. There'll be weddings and funerals and things to tell you about that just life continues to go on, even in the worst of times. This is Just Gow in the City, and hoping everyone has a terrific week, and we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.